We're continuing where we left off. It is January 19th, 2020, and we're going to continue with the thought of the week in prayer. Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father, living in me, who is doing his work. And the thought is this, all of us. This says that we all share the same experience when it comes to spiritual death. This should level the playing field and help us understand the context in which we find ourselves. We are all very different, but in many ways, we are also very much alike. We are alike because we all share the foundation of spiritual death with the sinful nature ruling over us as a result of Adam's original sin, from Romans chapter 5, verse 12. That sinful nature expresses itself in each of us differently as we use our free will. As unbelievers, we make decisions according to our fallen nature. That nature dictates to us what decisions are possible, and we simply choose. If the nature is sinful, we can never make decisions for righteousness. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. In Romans chapter 3, verse 11. Because we are spiritually dead at birth, we simply cannot understand God or his ways. There is no one who understands. Again, Romans 3.11, verse, verse A, part A. This situation allows the sin nature to be exploited through many different personalities. What is on display here is not necessarily the free will of man, but the total depravity of the sinful nature expressed through many different personalities. And that is the thought of the week, and let me add my commentary on this. Just say that the Holy Spirit is continually working with non-believers to convict them and, and tell them about Christ, and to relate to their consciousness and their, their inner being that there is a, there is a God and there is a distinction between righteousness and justice and condemnation. Are we going to use our free will to believe the Holy Spirit? And believing in the Holy Spirit's message is about coming to the belief and trust in the name of Jesus. And by then we will be saved and we will have the capacity in a new nature to select choices that are from righteousness. And from John 16, 8 through 11, we read, And when he comes, the Holy Spirit that is, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you no, no longer see me. Concerning judgment, because he is, because the ruler of this world is judged. And this relates back to the verse that we're going to be covering today to show where this real authority is coming from. And we're also going to see that the Father and the Son share the same nature, and that it is certainly not the sinful nature 
where we have come from. So although we are depraved in that fact that we are condemned and we have that sinful nature at birth, the choice can be made to believe the Holy Spirit, to give in and be humble to his influence. And that is my commentary on the thought of the week. And for prayer, um, we'll go to Dave. Okay, thanks, Dwight. Um, at this moment, as we go to our service through prayer, do anyone have any special requests for prayer? Yes, pray for those who are traveling. And um, Roma, I want to pray for Word of Truth Christian Church as well. Uh, just a moment, everyone, bow our heads so we take us a little throne of grace to God. Father, Most Heavenly Father, we're coming to you, Lord, Sunday, the Sunday, Father, for us to be in fellowship with you, Lord, so we can learn your word and study and show, to show ourselves approved to you, Lord. Father, we ask you to pray for our church, pray for each member, those who are traveling, those who are are going through difficulties, Father. We pray for those who are in need of you, Lord. Those who probably given the gospel for Father. We pray for those as we give it that you can convict their hearts, Father, so they can believe in you, Father, and believe that our Lord, Jesus Christ, is the Savior of the world. Father, as we continue us to we ask you to open up our minds, Father, so we can grow in your grace, Father, so we can stand fast, look at you, where help has come from. Father, we ask you to many bless in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave and Dwight. And we're going to continue where we left off with uh, uh, this whole, uh, this is now a three-part series in this verse. Uh, John chapter 14, 10. I think once we nail down a few things, we will be able to move quicker, but there would be some understandings that we need to make sure we have. So in John 14, verse 10, it, as Dwight read, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. <clears throat> you should have some notes Let's take a look at your notes and your notes. So it finally comes down to what we believe. While I give the disciples credit for their believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, they were now challenged beyond anything they ever experienced. They were in the midst of a theological crisis. They would have to stand alone if they were to believe the words of Jesus, apart from the religious and political leaders of their day, whom they respected all of their lives. They couldn't run from their fears. They had to stand on the fact that God had demonstrated beyond any doubt that this man that they had been following for three years is speaking truth. That truth would be different from anything they imagined. I hear some background noise. I'm going to ask if you are making that noise. So go ahead and mute your phone. I'll take care of it. No, no, no problem. Okay. So, 
Okay, so where were we? They, they couldn't run from their fears. They had to stand on the fact that God had, has demonstrated beyond any doubt that this man they had been following for three years is speaking truth. That truth would be different from anything they imagined. Quote, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived. Unquote. That's 1 Corinthians 2.9. Would they fully trust him? The religious leaders are already at odds with him and even tried to kill him. Quote, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Unquote. John eleven eighteen. The disciples were in the best spot they could be challenging their preconceived and religious ideas. We should learn to respect their condition or their contribution to the body of Christ. So remember, the apostles are part of our foundation, the apostles, prophets, and Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. That's our foundation. So for them to be in our foundation means they have significant contribution and leadership in the church. Um, it's, it's amazing to think about this from our perspective, but when we're seeing it from theirs, hey, many of them were in the valley of decision. It's, no, you know, it's, it's uncomfortable oftentimes to be in the valley of decision, to not have sure footing. I know we don't look at that as... Uh, a nice place. We, we like to get past that and, and feel confident that every decision we make is, is the right decision. Well, the disciples were challenged here. I said it earlier uh, by saying they were in the midst of a theological crisis. They were told one thing and now a new direction has opened up. Should they walk in that new direction? Should they not? There's a lot of questions that were uh, in, floating around in their minds. So we're going to get right to it because we, we don't have a lot of time and we have a lot of concepts that we want to cover today. So we covered these phrases already. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And we went through several points about what that means. This dynamic, spiritual dynamic relationship that is in uh, Christ. Now, I don't want to, when I, we say spiritual, it doesn't mean it's theoretical. It doesn't mean it's like invisible, but it doesn't, it's not really real. It's just using, we're just using some metaphor to describe something else. Spiritual is real, is reality. In fact, everything that is literal came from the spiritual. God is a spirit. And if we were to just think in terms of, well, if I don't see it, if I can't touch it and feel it and, and taste it or whatever in my hands, you know, actually physically, then it's not real. I don't want us to think that way at all. The spiritual came before the physical. There was nothing and God is spirit. So when we say there was, when there was nothing, meaning he, he's something, but there was no creation, no physical creation. He created all that is. We just need to make sure we recognize when I say it's a spiritual dynamic. Dynamic means 
that it is vivacious. It's alive. It's, it's interactive. It, Christ was conscious of this relationship as well as the Father. There's two consciousnesses in one person. And whenever there's two, there needs to be authority. And the authority comes from the Lord uh, Jesus Christ, who's our Lord. But the authority and the relationship between Christ and the Father is the Father. He was the one in authority. So it's interesting as we are going through these verses, we're looking at this in different ways. And I would hope, this is my hope, more questions are um, asked or explored in this area because have we hashed it out in all of its detail? I think we need more. And the more needs to come from not only me, but from you. You have my thoughts here, but I want you to take them and absorb them, think about them, decide whether you want to question uh, something or there's something you don't understand that we need to hash it out. And believe me, in that, it, it, we're going to learn more when it's all said and done. So we're at this place, point number three. The words I say to you, this is still in verse 10. I do not speak on my own authority. <clears throat> this is what Christ said. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. So the first thought is Christ came in complete humility to the Father. See, what that says to me is we have to understand that we can take our will and submit to another. That's a choice that we make. Humility is a choice. It's just like salvation, right? When we get the facts, when the Holy Spirit enlightens us enough to what the gospel message is, we then have a choice. We could choose to believe or not. But even, there's a choice to make even before we get to that choice, and that is that we will even listen to the gospel message. We can choose to shut that out and say, no, I don't want to hear it. Uh, just like it says, do not harden your heart as they did in the rebellion, right? Don't turn your heart against he even hearing the words. Uh, this is interesting. Uh, the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 8. Or is it 7? 7 or 8. Anyway, they, it says when uh, uh, Stephen was speaking, they put their hands over their ears. They didn't want to hear any more from Stephen. They literally rushed him because they didn't want to hear another thing he had to say. Imagine that. Uh, they said, we can't, it hurts us to hear what you're talking about because we reject it so vehemently. So in this sense, what we need to recognize is there's, uh, in Christ, there's, he had a will. He could have rejected the father, the father and said, no, I, I he could have said, no, you know, I have a different way of thinking about this. In fact, I'm going to defer in some cases to your way, in some cases to mine. No, Christ never did that. He came in complete humility to the Father. Now, what's the evidence of that? How can we know? Because Christ said so? Because Christ said, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. We have evidence from the Father that Christ 
properly represented him. In fact, Christ said, uh, I'm sorry, the Father said, from heaven, four different occasions, this is my son, hear him, I am well pleased in him, listen to him, right? We have that as testimony that that's the Father. And then we have the testimony that the Father resurrected Jesus. He raised him from the dead, further signifying that Christ had completed his mission and uh, he, 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 the power to raise him uh, came from the Father through the ministry of the Holy Spirit at that time and Christ was raised from the dead. And then we have other testimony where in Colossians 1.15 it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We have Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And Christ is the exact representation of his being. Christ completes the Father in every way. If you want to know who the Father is, look at Christ. You can't see the Father, but in Christ you now have physicality for the Father to manifest, to express himself. And we're going to get to that more. But I just want to stop for a minute and realize that Christ submitted to the authority of the Father. How did he do it? In complete, complete humility. Now, it's not true for us because we have to renew our minds. That means we have our own will. We have our own way of thinking about things and how things should be and what truth is. And then God has his way. Hence, God says, I saved your soul, but now... We need to renew your mind. That means we, you have to be transformed. So that part has to be ongoing for us. It's not something that we just submit to and then all of a sudden, uh, whatever happens, I'm going to submit to God. No. Transformation process is often painful. We are often delusional about or deluded about what truth is. And then we have become, uh, you know, we've, accepted this truth that is not true and God has to work its way out of us by showing us the light. So ultimately Christ gave his complete will to the Father. Father, do whatever you want. Right? It's whatever you say. It's not as I will, but as you will. So we, that's one thing we have to understand, that Christ literally did that. He made a decision to submit in humility to the Father. Our verse I always quoted in John chapter 14, he said, The world must learn that I love the Father, and I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. So, this, this, so we have it not only from Christ's own words, but we have the testimony from the Father and from the other apostles who also testified to this understanding that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. That's what we get from being humil having the humility is that Father uh, is in Jesus. And if we have humility, Jesus will be the, uh, the authority and he will be the one who manifests in us or is present. Point B, let's keep going. This happens automatically, uh, but it, it needed to be pointed out for the sake of the disciples. Christ, but my point here and point B is that Christ didn't have to tell the disciples this. He, 
I mean, for Christ, this was what was happening automatically. N not automatically meaning he didn't make a decision, but automatically meaning he made the decision, and this is literally what was happening, happening in his soul. So you could question that. You could say, how does that work, Christ? And he w looks like he's going to tell us. He's going to give us information on how that works. But he didn't have to. He could have said, this is what the Father said, simply put. Jesus is telling you how it works. He's breaking it down. He says, look, the words that I'm telling you right now are not, I'm not telling you this on my own authority. I'm telling you this on the Father's authority. He's the one who's in control. So this is so you know. So Jesus said to them, not only have you seen the Father, but you now, you know the Father. And they were like, wait a minute. Only one we know is you, Jesus. How can we know the Father? Show us the Father. Then we'll be satisfied. So Jesus is saying to them, have anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? That would be to, to say that you and the Father, are. Jesus is not doing a good job. Jesus is not representing the Father well. Because if he is, that means he's in complete humility toward the Father. And the Father is able to manifest. So without even knowing it, the disciples knew the Father. It was the Father they were getting to know. It was his, the teaching was all his and was, was his authority that, uh, under, under which these circumstances uh, uh, that they were learning this information is all about the Father's plan. So it happened, it was just pointed out for the sake of the disciples. And guess who else is pointed out for the sake of them? Us, who are on this other side now of Pentecost, where Jesus says these things are going to now happen to you. I'm, and not only will I be in you, but the Father will also be in you. And so notice, the Father's in us, but Jesus is the authority. And we'll get to that. So point number C, let's move forward. The words. When Jesus says the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. I'm just focused in on the words now. What is the words? That means like the, it, and, or, right? <laughs> the house, the tree. Right? The words refer to the teaching of the Father's plan. The words, I would venture to say, are Jesus's words, although the Father is the one who gave him the thought to what to say and how to say it. The teaching is, is really what is at stake here. The words came out of Jesus's mouth, but it was the Father who really is the one who was teaching here. So we're not just talking about the words, period, right? We're talking about the Father's plan. And this is the, the reason for the Father being the focal point in the first place. It talks about humility talks about God, the way of God, which is how he presents information. And that's important for us to examine. How did he choose to present this mystery doctrine to us? How, he didn't just say, here it is. Uh, let me write it down for you. There is a specific way it's presented. And that way is also passed on to us. And uh, what, we, what is seen of us, it's not just what our words are, memorizing what their words were. It is literally them in us uh, being represented in the world. 
So just remember, the words are not just simple words. When Jesus says the words I say to you, he's talking about the teaching. He's talking about the concepts that are being presented here, that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither have they entered into the heart of man. He's talking about the wisdom that was destined for our glory before time began. So the words I say to you, it's not just, uh, just any old words. It's talking about the special teaching that was foreign to the disciples' ears, that caused the disciples' brows to wrinkle up and to ask questions. What is this? We don't know the way. How, how can we know the way? We don't know what you're talking about. You're going away? What are you talking about? So this teaching comes from the Father. Believe it. That's what he's saying. Don't you believe it? Point D. Authority. This is a big point. I could have probably broke it up into two or three, but let's just see if we can get through it. Authority. Here is the basis for humility. And when I say that, uh, we could say we have humility, but if we don't, or are not willing to submit to authority, we don't have humility. It's, it's related. Let's talk about why. So our submission to authority is the way we come to learn and are open to alternate views and allow for the possibility of divergent thinking. So just think when you were a child. You could have had no knowledge or whatever knowledge you might have had is fine. But when you come into the classroom, there is an authority structure and the teacher's there. And, you know, the whole thing is the teacher is the one who has the knowledge and the wisdom. They're the ones with the information and the lessons that we have to learn. So we submit. We say, OK, well, teach this math. Take out your math book. Whatever you would have thought about math, here's the truth, right? Here's what you got to learn. And the teacher takes you step by step until you got, get to uh, pre-calculus or whatever, algebra. And you can then come to a different way of thinking about things. So it took authority. You didn't just submit to any authority. You, you could have just said, well, I read the newspaper and the newspaper said this. And then you go to school and you learn, oh no, this is really the way it is. So what authority you accept, it depends on what your level of openness is. So even just some people, you have to have authority, a submission to authority, even to take the time to hear someone out. Remember we talked about uh, the, the Jews there before they stoned Stephen. They would not accept any authority that came from Stephen. They would not accept his words. They didn't have any trust in what he had to say. And in fact, it infuriated them to such an extent that they killed him. They stoned him. So it is about authority. Right? Some, when you go to teach somebody, teaching is a matter of authority. You, you have to submit. And now, here's what I try to tell people. I try to soften it a little bit. I said, listen, you don't have to believe what I tell you. All I'm asking is that you hear what I'm telling you. You still, once you hear what I say, you still have the opportunity to receive it or reject it. You still have control. 
help the people understand that they're not powerless. But, but my thing is, you have to at least allow yourself to hear what the other views are, the alternate views. So if you have a wrong view of salvation, for instance, you have to allow for the possibility that your view could be wrong. So you open yourself up. And even, even if you think, well, my view is right, I have the right view of salvation, hearing another view and understanding how someone else thinks about it doesn't take anything away from you. It doesn't stop you from having the choice of choosing what you believe. And in my view, it adds to you. Now, not only do you believe what you believe, but you have opportunity to compare what you believe against other beliefs. To me, that's wealth. That, that, that gives you a wealth of understanding. If a person says, um, have you considered this? And you say, no, I haven't considered that. Have you considered that? No, I haven't considered that either. So, well, what have you considered? I got my own view, and that's the only view I'm going to look at because I have the truth. Well, then that's a closed mind. And remember, our thoughts are not God's thoughts. Neither are our ways, his ways. So God doesn't have an inroad to you to be able to teach you more things because you have closed the door. You have basically said no to God. So let's get let's say this again, authority Authority here, it, it's the basis for humility. Our submission to authority is the way we come to learn and are open to alternate views and allow for the possibility of divergent thinking. Our openness to new ideas allows for enlightenment. The Holy Spirit can't do his work if we're not willing. That it was an example of Jesus doing signs, wonders, and miracles. And uh, he cast out demons from this demon-possessed person. And the people there were watching this and they realized, they said, this, this, this is supernatural power here. I, I don't, I've never seen anything like this. And then they said, could this be the son of David? Could it be? The, the, notice they new ideas were popping into their minds. Now they were open, because why were they open? Because something happened that superseded their authority. They said, wait a minute, this is supernatural. I've never seen any power like this. And they, they didn't automatically submit to it. They said, well, could it be? They didn't say, it must definitely be. Now Nicodemus, on the other hand, is a good example of one who recognized the authority was greater than his. He saw those miracle signs and wonders that Christ did, and you know what he said? No one can do those things except God is with him. So automatically he had accepted the authority of Christ. So what did Christ tell him? He went right away to teaching. He says, well, Nicodemus, you must be born again. That's what you need. So Nicodemus, I believe if we follow the scriptures, was saved. I don't know for sure. I can't tell what was in a man's heart, especially that long ago. But we'll know soon enough when we are absent from the body and present with the Lord. We'll know. So notice our openness to new ideas. It allows for enlightenment. It allowed Nicodemus to come to the knowledge of the truth. Or in the case of, is this the son of David? The Pharisees jumped in 
and said, hold on, I know you want to think differently about this, but let me help you. And who would have thought, who, who are they? They were in authority over those people. Those were the religious leaders, the ones who should have had the knowledge, who should have recognized the power of those signs, wonders, and miracles and, made, and drew the proper conclusion and had submission. But no, you know what they said? This person has this power by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. He, they said this, is, this power is an evil power. Don't follow what he says because he's evil. Wow. Amazing. So that's what we have to have to be open to new ideas. It allows for enlightenment. Now get this last phrase. Arrogance fights humility. And the ego is the ultimate authority. And this is part of our sin nature. Is that the ego, who we are, is most important. Right? We only care about ourselves. That's why greed and lust and all the different things that are associated with the sin nature. Uh, these are things that we find ourselves that are common in ourselves. That is common to all humanity. And all of us are arrogant. But God, the Holy Spirit, He begins to break that arrogance down in us. And we are able then to see the truth, right? the gospel. That doesn't mean just because we see it, that we trust in it. If we resist it and refuse it, like an example I already gave, we shall not see life and the wrath of God will remain on us. It doesn't mean that's our last opportunity. It just means that we stay in the position that we were in. We don't. Uh, we we are not born again and able to see th additional things. Arrogance fights. The egg. The ego is. You know, everything is about us. And I see it that so much in Christian world today. And people, a lot of ministries are all about the person. Right? It's all about your best life. Uh, what God is going to give you. You're blessed, and you have this, and you have that. God will do this for you. And people sit back and, and grin and think, yeah, that's what I want. I want it all for me. Me, 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 me. And yet, that is the wrong attitude. We shouldn't be. It's not about us. It's about the plan of God. It's it's about the, Even if you think about the plan of God for salvation, I mean, God wants us to be saved. How do we do it? We can't do it the way we think salvation should happen. It has to be on God's terms, and so forth, and so on. So ego has to die, and God, humility. So our humility is toward the scriptures. The scriptures, have, they have the testimony of the word of God. Our arrogance can fight that and say, no, nah, it's just a book. <laughs> what are we worried about? Well, that book has been demonstrated. Those signs, wonders, and miracles... We're talking about the witnesses of those things. Uh, God has transmitted this book and preserved it for us in this day. We trust that this book has truth of God. And we submit to it. Out of hum That's our humility. We listen to what it says. We, we're open to the ideas that it presents to us. This point D is important. I just want to stop and pause and say that, to make sure that everybody understands this point, because we all are in the position often of teaching others. 
So we don't want to get into fights with their ego about who's right and wrong. Remember, our authority comes from the word and, and our ultimately God. We say this is the word of God. So we're going to keep going. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Okay? Rather, it is the Father living in me. So we'll go over a couple points here and then we'll close. A contrast, and this is rather, is it the Father living in me? That's a contrast. It's like saying, but the Father uh, is living in me. It's, it brings, whenever there's a contrast, it brings important information to the table that we need to make sure we consider. The disciples were not considering this information. <laughs> they were looking at this Christ just out of this rogue person saying this. That's what they're saying. They say, everybody else believes that, but you're saying this? Why should we believe you? In essence, their questions led Christ to, to this thought. And Christ is responding with, don't you believe? Believe me when I tell you this is so. So it, you, you ought to sit up and take notice. Christ is given an explanation as to why he's saying the things that he's saying. So whenever there's a contrast, you have heard it said this, but I say to you this. Ah, well, yeah, I know what it says over here. I need to take notice of what Christ is now telling me. Now, I could say, well, <laughs> I know what it says over here. Therefore, that's truth, and I'm not moving from that. But if you have humility toward Christ, if you recognize that the Father is living in him, and doing the work, then you may be open to hearing what Christ is saying. Once you're open to hearing what he's saying, you then may place your trust in him. Just like you believe in God, believe also in me. Believe that there is no contradiction in what Christ brought. It is just addition, not contradiction, addition. So uh, sit up and take notice. Pay attention, because what comes may be uh, an opportunity for learning. Point B, <clears throat> for Jesus to point out this fact, it is important to note that he is signaling the importance of the plan and his mission. So if he's saying this, this he stops and he could have just dismissed him. Remember, he's the Lord. What we get from him is a different lordship, right? It is one that is open. Well, the kings of the earth and they lord over people, you don't get to ask questions like so, like this or get answers in detail. You can ask all the questions you want. doesn't mean you're going to get any answers. Jesus gives answers. He's pointing these things out. It's the Father living. I didn't have to tell you that, but it is. The Father living in me. That's what he's saying. That's doing the work. And when he opens that up by saying doing the work, he's linking not just the, the, the new things that he's teaching. He's linking that to the works that he does. Right? You, you've seen me do miraculous signs, wonders, and miracles. Man, you, you guys have been with me the whole time. You've seen everything that I've done. There's nothing. I haven't hid anything from you. And I want you to link all of that, those works, 
with the things, the new things that I'm telling you now. And I need you to believe it. We could fast forward and I can tell you the disciples did believe it. They came to be the foundation of the church just as the prophets that Jesus gave, uh, also commissioned, as well as himself as the chief cornerstone. So pointing out this fact, it's important to note he is signaling the importance of his plan and his mission. Right? It's, his mission is not just what the disciples think. His mission is this. Let me explain to you what my mission is. There's a plan. I know you have different thoughts about it. I get it. But now I need you to trust God. Just like you trust God, trust me in the same manner. Was it a big ask of Jesus for all of this? Absolutely. But the disciples had help. The Holy Spirit was also there urging them to believe the words of Jesus and the Father. Point number C in our outline here. So it seems like when I read this last part, it seems like he should have said, and this is just me saying this in my head, it is the Father speaking through me. But notice, it is the Father living in me. The signs, the wonders, the miracles meant, are meant to help with the supernatural understanding. So, yes, it was a big ask. And Jesus is saying, just, like, just as I said before, uh, it's the signs, wonders, and miracles that should help you come to the understanding, the proper understanding here. And I like that verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where it says that he, Paul did not come with eloquence of speech and great auditory skills when he came to the Corinthians. He came in great weakness and fear and trembling. And he says, my words were not all those other things. It was just weakness. I, I didn't come to you, but I came to you in the power. Right? They were able to see the signs, the wonders, the miracles that were displayed in the apostles. And that, Paul says, I don't want your faith to rest in those other things. I want your faith to rest in these things, the power. Right? What does that say? It says, I recognize there's authority over me, and I submit to that. Listen, I can't do those signs, wonders, and miracles. The disciples couldn't do those signs, wonders, and miracles. Nicodemus couldn't, right? Those people who saw the demons casted, they couldn't do those signs, wonders, and miracles. It was beyond them. It was a power greater than them. And all they had to do was submit to the authority. And not only, Jesus says, in the Old Testament, it says that he would open the eyes of the blind. He would cast out demons. He would do all these things. So it was appropriate for them. There was a context for this. So yeah, it, it was the Father living in me. So it also speaks of the, the, the spiritual dynamic relationship that is going on. It's not just uh, Jesus puts his hand to his ear and says, I hear some voices and the voices are saying this. <laughs> That's not it at all. Jesus, in complete humility, allowed the Father to use his body, to use his vocal cords, to use his eyes and ears, and talk to those disciples directly. And so it wasn't just, I hear a voice. 
it was a dynamic relationship where the father was literally there interacting with the disciples. Now, he created this. This is not something that just happens automatically. God created this situation. Later, he says, hey, get ready. The same thing is going to happen to you later on. On that day, you will know that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. So get ready. It's going to happen to you. But this relationship, this living in me, it's not just a voice I hear. It's not just me memorizing words. And then I memorized it so much it becomes a part of me now. And now I just say the words and I memorize. That's not that at all. It's dynamic. It's interactive. It's interrelated with my own personality. It, it is reminiscent of how God uh, used inspiration. How he directed the writer. He gave them his perfect will and plan. And they were able to express it in their own personalities. Here, God didn't just do that. He gave us himself. The Father literally is in Christ, living in him. That's what it says. All we're asked, all we're asked with the disciples at this point is to believe it. To trust the words of Jesus. So point D, clearly there is another presence in Christ. This is what I've been talking about, mutual possession. When I say possession, I don't mean like a demon possession. Remember, demon possession is where the demon does take up residence in the body, but not because the person wants to have the demon. And it is, intrusion, it is an intrusion on the person's will. So truly, Christ, when he talks about setting us free, truly, truth does set us free. And he does come to cast out demons and demonic thinking and all of that. But when Christ comes, he lives in us. It's another presence within us. It's not just the words of Christ. All I got to do is memorize them and then I'll have. It, I don't have to. In fact, there's one verse that says, don't even worry about what to say in that day. God, he will give it to you. He will tell you. He will, he will be right there on the spot. You don't have to memorize it. The presence of Christ is there. But this mutual possession thing, that is what is said here in these verses. We can't let it go by without us acknowledging. And then, if we acknowledge it, we need to stop and think about what is being said here. Like, how does this work? Allow this to be a part of our consciousness. Right? Christ is, it, it, he didn't say, I'm really the one saying all this to you in this one. I, 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 even if I believe that, he's saying there's something else going on and Christ is fully conscious of it. That's what we have to make sure we, we recognize. Another person. For us, it is persons. We have the Father in us. We have Christ in us. And we also have the Holy Spirit in us. And then we are in us. So there's four presence. <laughs> so there must be. There will be total confusion. Well, not on God's part. 
because the Father, Christ, and the Holy Spirit are all saying the same thing. But it would be total confusion if there was no authority. That's why authority and submission on our part is important. Point E, it is also clear that Jesus submitted to the Father and the purpose for him to be manifest at home in Christ to present the greatest knowledge ever. And this, Christ understood this. It is, it was the Father's purpose. It wasn't Christ's purpose to come up with this idea. It was the Father's plan. It was the Father's purpose. And it was Christ's role or job to step aside and allow the Father to manifest in him. And there was a reason for this, <clears throat> because the greatest knowledge and wisdom ever was coming about. That's what was getting ready to happen here. We're talk what are we talking about? The mystery, right? Now I'm going to just look at this one verse. We haven't looked at too many. We're, we're just dealing with the theory of it all. So in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 9, it says this, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. Who made no, who's who's is he? The Father. If you look at verse 1, uh, verse 2, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So when it says he made known unto us the mystery of his will, he's talking about the Father here. Yeah, that he which he purposed in Christ. And that's what I was just basically saying. It was the Father's purpose to manifest himself, to present this information in Christ to, to the world. So he introduced it through Christ, but the whole thing was wait till Pentecost comes, then the church age will begin. And this verse 9, it was his good pleasure this is where i think i see the father accomplishing what he wanted in terms of the mystery he's happy to be able to do this this is something that has been you know hidden in him since the creation of all things he thought about this and he did not reveal it until this particular point in time and this is not Christ because it was after the resurrection that Pentecost happened. This is something that what God waited for, and it's his good pleasure. I always envisioned a smile breaking out on God's face, just becoming bigger and bigger as he reveals this information to us. All we have to do is look at Christ, the Father, set up this system of communication that is most personal and most intimate. Not just, as I said, we just memorize it. We just listen to the law. We put these things, put the law wherever it is, on doorposts. So wherever, if we're going out, we see the law. We're coming in, we see the law. Uh, you know, they had all kind of ways in, under the Mosaic law to, to just keep reminding them, hey, by the way, this is what God's will is. Well, God came up with a way that was so personal, so intimate, that we can interact personally with the Father 
So the last point is point F. Isn't it interesting that the father shows up personally for this presentation? He didn't leave it just to say, okay, Christ, I want you to go down there and I want you to tell him this. I want you to tell him about my plan. You know what the father said? No, Christ, listen, I'm going to tell him and I'm going to use you to do it. And Christ said, okay, you go ahead, use me. Not my will, but your will. I love the Father, meaning I love the Father's plan. I love what he, what he brings. So I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. So the Father gets the drive. He didn't say, Christ, you drive. I'll just tell you where to go. Father's driving. And we're seeing the Father. Do you believe it is the question. That was what Jesus said at the beginning of this verse. Don't you believe? I'm asking you at the end of what we just discussed. Do you believe it? Can you believe that this happened? And that this is the foundation of our spiritual life in this age? Don't, don't you believe it? Do you believe this? These are the words that the disciples were challenged with. They were in the valley of decision. They were trying to figure, is this, this is not something we've had before. Is this something we should be believing and trusting in? Wow, these miracles, the signs and wonders. I don't know if we cannot believe this information. But yet, they had a choice. And they believed it. What will we do with this information? Do we believe it? Let's bow our heads. We'll talk more about this next week. Where Jesus continues with the thought, believe me when I say I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had together. We pray for wisdom and knowledge as we approach these most important themes, the understanding you've given us, the, the words of Scripture that are very clear. We want to believe it, and we want to trust you. We thank you for that calling us from eternity past, choosing us in Christ so that we are walking, living, and breathing now. Thank you for those in this church. This, this is a platform for us to be able to speak these things. <coughs> we pray for wisdom as we go out in the world, whether we're witnessing the gospel or whether we're able to speak about the full knowledge of the truth. It's in Christ's name all, all this we ask. Amen. Amen.